Welcome to Power Up, a podcast show hosted by Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio that brings life to some of the stories on Power Electronics technologies and products featured on PowerElectronicsNews.com and through other as Pencor Media publications. In this show, you'll hear both engineers and executives discuss news, challenges, and opportunities for power electronics in markets such as automotive, industrial, and consumer. Here is your host, Editor-in-Chief of PowerElectronicsNews.com and EEWeb.com, Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Power Up. In this episode, we will talk about energy, in particular the future of energy in terms of open source. To slow and stop climate change, we must reduce our emissions to zero. To do this, we need to revolutionize our energy system, generating only sustainable and renewable energy. We also need electricity grids that are sustainable and more reliable, capable of combining different renewables in the best possible way. When developing energy systems, cybersecurity, control, optimization, virtualization of network functions and digital management of distributed energy resources can all represent development challenges. Growing and supporting renewable energy through a truly collaborative open source initiative is a target to accelerate the energy transition. We will talk today with Shuri Goodman. She is the founder and executive director of LF Energy, a Linux foundation project that supports open source innovation in the energy and electricity sectors. Her goal is to digitally transform the world's power systems. Let's talk with Shuri. Hi, Shuli. Thanks a lot uh, for coming on. Thank you for the opportunity to have you in this uh, podcast. Uh, it would be a pleasure to have you and to talk about uh, the topic of today that is uh, energy, the future of energy. The future of energy will be open source, I guess. So, but uh, Thank you. Before, before that, I would like to know, to know more about you. So, first of all, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm good. It's early morning where I am. And uh, it's a kind of gray day, um, which is good because we're in a drought and I'm in Northern California. So uh, it makes it, um, it helps to not have fires. Great. Nice so place. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, before going into details about this topic, uh, give us a, a little bit of your background. Please introduce yourself. What's your job? What's your involvement in uh, in this uh, in this topic? Yeah, I'm the founder and the executive director of LF Energy. LF Energy is a project of the Linux Foundation. Um, the Linux Foundation is the home of the Linux kernel, which is uh, arguably the operating system of the planet, and then about 460 other projects. Um, my background is that I was a management consultant, and uh, about 15 years ago, I decided to go get a PhD in innovation and the adoption and diffusion of innovation, and here I am. Great. So the topic of uh, today is uh, is energy. So and uh, so this is uh, very close to my heart. 
to, to slow and to stop uh, climate change, we must uh, reduce our emissions to, to zero. And uh, for that, to do this, uh, we need to, to change, to revolutionize our energy uh, system, energy infrastructures. Open source is uh, a paradigm that, uh, that we know in, uh, in hardware and software, but uh, I guess is uh, for sure one of the big points to consider to accelerate uh, changes in, uh, in green energy transition. For that, with the possibility to enable, uh, enable the interconnection between uh, uh, various systems. So which are the advantages of open source for energy transition? So that's a really great question. When I think about um, sort of where we are, I, I'm going mm-hmm. to say a couple of different things, and, uh, and hopefully they will all fit together and people will kind of follow where I'm going. Um, you know, the power system that we have today is about 150 years old, and it was created out of a certain kind of mind. And it was created out of a certain kind of consciousness. When I look at what we are facing, to me, we're in a a conflict between are we going to transform our consciousness or are we going to uh, have catastrophe? And so when I think about open source, I think about open source as a paradigm. It's, It's really a legal kind of framework that enables cooperation it's it's you know it's not complex um and there is there are maybe 30 35 40 million open source projects on the planet but what we're really talking about here between you and me and uh, in terms of transforming power system networks is we're talking about enterprise software is going to enable and accelerate innovation and uh, and security, um, because the more devices we have connected to our grids, whether it's a washer, a, a toaster, um, yeah. a PV, or an electric vehicle, every single one of those devices has to be secure. It has to be verified um, so that uh, you know we don't create the conditions um, for um, you know hackers and, and malicious actors. Um, to uh, take society down. So open source is really, it is a, uh, it is a framework. There are many licenses, but we use primarily the Apache 2.0 license, um, that enables a cooperative investment, collective investment, uh, so that we can go faster, uh, more securely, and that we can innovate, uh, at the, at the speed of the urgency that faces us. So, Microgrids and other energy trends are uh, putting greater emphasis on the reliability of uh, aging electrical infrastructure, but also transmission and uh, distribution lines around the world. Growing and supporting renewable energy need a lot, uh, need a lot of challenges. This not only from uh, wideband gap semiconductors, because we uh, have talked uh, a lot about uh, this and also wrote several articles on powerelectronicsnews.com, uh, but also from point of view about uh, good control definition, optimization, digital management of uh, distributed energy resources. We can say that the microgrids represent a sort of uh, democratization of the delivery of energy. 
what are the the challenges in this uh, situation and uh, open open source can uh, can be the big boost you know that's a, it's an interesting question I, i i think that many of the microgrids that we've seen today um mm-hmm. for the most part what they're doing is um they're they're kind of taking the paradigm of the larger grid and uh, placing it on a smaller footprint in terms of the ability to control the ability to island the ability to disconnect from the grid i see uh, two things happening with regards to open source right now um i see a top down model um that is really um being driven by power system network operators so the utilities um who are having to find ways uh, to manage flexibility uh planning forecasting um the ability to choreograph the ability to manage event centric data um the the ability to manage massive quantities of data and all of those things um kind of are from the view of the operator but there's another view that is really a bottom up view and um you know for the most part the things that we plug in um whether it's in uh you know a factory or it's in a home uh, most of those things are analog and there's no data that travels um with actually uh the the electron and so when i think about the bottom up um while right now we have a paradigm that looks an awful lot like a miniaturization of what we already have i look out 5 years 10 years 15 years and see this other thing happening which is really a bottom up view um and it is a method and ability to be able to coordinate all these devices whether they're loads or resources um to do a lot of that computing uh and ai out at the edge and then to be able to you know coordinate those things um from an operator perspective in order to ensure balance that is not necessarily how most people think of microgrids but um because you know because of who you are and because of your understanding of kind of the electromechanical uh dimensions um at the edge of the grid like the things that we plug in our lights our our TVs our washing machines our toasters our factories um uh, you know we have to actually change those as well um so that they have the ability to exist in a network um and that those networks are kind of fractal that they can be rolled up together uh and uh, that's how i see what the microgrids of the future look like so your company lf energy and uh, uh, sony computer science laboratories announced some uh, months ago a project uh, ifi a microgrid initiative to automate peer to peer distribution of uh, renewable energy uh, the goal of this uh, is uh, to make uh, uh, microgrids more efficient and uh, uh, the the o- the overall grid more uh, carbon neutral just to stay on the page on the on the same page about energy uh, but this is one of your project can you tell me what are your other projects in planning uh, where are we most likely to see open source microgrids deployed uh, in the future 
Yeah, so that kind of massive view of microgrids, uh, typically they are not built with a microservices sort of perspective. And, mm-hmm. and from, from, you know, kind of what I'm describing is, um, that in, in the future, um, Sodern, the software stack is really going to be composed of, uh, the edge, um, data, and then an application catalog that sits on top. And most microgrids are just like these you know, big sort of monolithic softwares. What Hyphy is, is it's the beginning uh, possibilities of actually looking at peer-to-peer resources out at the edge and how they communicate with each other. Um, and in, in order to be able to um, share electrons. And the reason why we chose the word Hyphy is that Hyphy actually is Greek for the word web. And hyphae are something that live in forests. They are the connective tissue um, between trees. They are the little white fibers. If you were to go to a, a beautiful lush forest and you were to dig down and, and look at um, the mycelium networks, the, the, the mushrooms and the fungi that actually um, enable a trees to transform photosynthesis and uh, and then distribute those. And that's what Hyphy does. Hyphy distributes. And so its core functioning right now is around peer-to-peer um, uh, exchanges at the edge. Um, it's a DC microgrid. But again, I think it's really a beginning. I don't think um, I, and, you know, what we're really looking for right now is to build to the and to keep uh, working with that. Um, in the open source world, uh, in in the product world, um, often people feel like they need perfection. They're going to throw something at you. Um, it's going to be, you know, they're going to sell something. It's perfect. You're going to go yes or no. In in the um, open source world, we start with something that's good mm-hmm. enough, and we keep working with it and iterating and iterating and iterating until it's the functionality and the features of it begin to emerge. So. Where I see things happening is Hyphy being a broker for things at the edge, hardware, um, devices, sensors, those sort of things. Um, and then being able to use some of the microservices that we're actually developing um, for network operators around forecasting, um, uh, you know, around um, we're, we're about to bring on a new uh, 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 weather um, API. Um, that that enables uh, that's an open source weather that will work with pretty much um, any provider of weather data because of course that's an important part of understanding the provisioning of a grid is being able to manage large sums of data including mm-hmm. data about weather so uh, you know I, I I see this as a space that's evolving I don't uh, I don't you know I don't think we've arrived yet um, we're in the process of building it and understanding, um, you know, how to do this. You know, I add one more thing, which is um, a lot of times one of the things that I ask people to do is a thought experiment. First, you know, the the piece I was saying about sort of the battle between consciousness and catastrophe. Um, It's like most of us who work in the power systems world, um, we're very kind of left brain. We're very thoughtful about uh, data and mechanical information. We're SIS thinkers, and that's great. But we also have to work with our right side of our brain and our ability to actually 
um, evolve as human beings and to hold both those things. Um, so I think that the topic of microgrids really gets at the core of that because are we designing something for today or are we actually designing systems that will make sense um, thousands of years from now? And my argument is we need to actually be thinking as if we were looking at thousands of years, not next year. And yes, we have to be practical. We have to go step by step and we have to, you know, kind of uh, go from where we are to where we go next to where we go next. But if we use the mind that is able to think of life and human life on the planet over millennia and to kind of understand historically, and you're based in Italy and, you know, Italians have such an amazing culture um, and kind of understanding of millennia. And so it's like, we have to take that. We have what happened in the past. We also have to think in the future and how are we going to imagine humans look a thousand years from now, 2000 years from now. And I think it's a great thought exercise as we are planning the infrastructure that is the thing that enables our modern life to exist. This is fantastic. So great, great, uh, great one, surely. So thinking in terms of uh, uh, energy, we can also, um, we can also talk about uh, centralized distributed energy sources. So the transition in this case from centralized to distributed energy sources is heavily fragmented. It's important, as, as, we, as, as you say, to facilitate, to address in positive way the acceleration of the energy transition. But many forms of energy storage are being proposed to be used in, in the electric power grid. And also now, with the advance of EVs, electric vehicles, and the related charging station, the, the situation is very, is very interesting. Uh, so we need to, to study, we need to, to understand better how to manage this situation. What are your considerations? Um, you know, it, it, it still, it, it really gets back to this reimagining, um, kind of what our daily lives look like. And, you know, for a moment, I'm going to separate out commercial and industrial. Um, I, I think that commercial and industrial has sort of a life of its own in terms of, um, our economy is entirely dependent upon the ability to, to provide electrons. Um, that make things move, make things happen. And so we have to reimagine that in the factory. Um, and we also have to reimagine it in our daily lives. And so when I think about how we build houses, how we build communities, um, you know, we kind of strung wires between our houses uh, and then we wired the inside of our houses But we continued to believe um, that sort of we were using fossil fuel at a distance to um, kind of use uh, physics to generate electrons and then transport those electrons. What if um, all of our devices have the ability to have batteries? I mean, you look phone, it's kind of a microgrid um, in, in that definition of you can plug it into the grid and then you can remove it from the grid and it works. 
we have to take that same consciousness um, about laptops and phones and other things and really embed um, batteries and the ability to arbitrage both electrons and um, and data at the same time from our devices at the edge. So when I think about a vastly distributed grid, um, I think about really um, radically reimagining how all those things come together. And it looks much more like the Internet, for instance, um, than it looked like uh, the grid of, you know, 20 years ago where you had a big centralized uh, fossil fuel um, driven generator that then hit high voltage and then traveled distances and then dropped down and dropped down. And at the heart of it is this notion of radical energy efficiency, um, that we actually shift our relationship to electrons and not just think about electrons from a brute strength perspective. Like, let's just let's throw so many electrons at something. And if we have 60 percent loss or 40 percent loss, it doesn't matter. Um, actually, we need to rethink that. Um, so when I think of, you know, electric vehicles, I think about PVs, I think about battery storage in our homes, um, I, I think about transportation. Um, it, it is really reimagining how our communities are, um, how we uh, share electrons um, between each other, um, how we rethink our devices, and that that's an incredible challenge. Yet at the same time, it's also quite exciting. And we're going to have, um, you know, when I think about how the change is going to happen, there's going to be, you know, step changes, and then there are going to be paradigm changes. And in the end, I think we have to move towards a paradigm change. And so what the world looks like in 30 years or 25 years is going to look um, pretty different. And, uh, and so all of us, it really becomes incumbent upon all of us since we are really redesigning the engines that drive society and, and drive communities and drive civilization. What is it that we want? What does that look like? And the more distributed energy is, the more democratic energy becomes. And that really is probably one of the most important shifts in the paradigm of uh, energy to, you know, to a distributed energy paradigm. So, surely we are uh, in conclusion. My last question. Do you see the current pandemic as more of a threat or possibility for a future transition towards sustainability and uh, renewables and open source technologies? So um, I thought that was such an interesting question, and this is going to be <laughs> this is my answer. Um, I I think that stillness yeah. is a revolutionary act. So I'm going to say that again. Stillness is a mm-hmm. revolutionary act, and what I mean by that is that our lives pre-pandemic were moving at a speed. Um, that was uh, phenomenal um, in terms of where we were, how many things we did in a day, who we saw, what we thought was, you know, a good life. And uh, we've all been forced uh, due to the pandemic to actually um, um, 
um, create more stillness in our lives or meet that stillness. And we're meeting that stillness at the same time that there are events in the world that are happening that are scary, like the wildfires, like the floods in Europe, like the fires in, in Greece and, and Spain and parts of Italy, um, that the, the floods, um, that are happening through hurricanes in the southeast of the United States. It's one, there was an article that came out this week, um, that said that one in three Americans, uh, live in a county that has had an extreme weather event in the last three months, either, uh, and 60% have experienced extreme heat. So mm-hmm. there is something really that's changing. And if you are in a confined state with the pandemic and you are dealing with an extreme weather event, um, you are really forced to come into reality, I think, I hope, I pray, um, mm-hmm. about our current circumstance. And so in that way, it's not that I would wish the pandemic on us at all, um, but it it does represent a, a grand challenge globally, and it is forcing us to have to come to terms with life and death and really what the nature of our lives are. And mm-hmm. so I wish everybody health um, and patience um, for the next, you know, through the winter into the spring. My guess is that the spring is going to um, – actually bring I, I think 2022 in the spring is going to be great um uh and but we are entering into another difficult period in which we're vaccinated but we're not entirely sure um that we have the kind of um confidence that we're mm-hmm. not going to get a breakthrough um uh, so it's it's a difficult time, and um, I hope that within that stillness and that quiet, and with your families, that um, and even if you're alone, um, that you are able to take comfort in knowing that we are evolving as humans, and this is part of what we're meeting, and it's as big as, um, and it's a it's a precursor to climate change and so let's use it well nice words so thank you thank you surely thanks a lot uh, for for your time it's been a pleasure to to talk with you to know more about uh, open source energy the future of energy thank you again and uh, thank you stay safe thank you surely thanks a lot when she thinks about open source this would be as a paradigm It's really a kind of framework that enables cooperation. And there are a lot of million open source projects on the planet. There are two things to highlight, as Shuri said. One is really being driven by power system network operators, so the utilities who are having to find ways to manage planning, forecasting, so the ability to manage a lot of data. The second point is a method and ability to be able to coordinate all devices used in the grid, whatever they are loads or resources. The topic of microgrids really get at the core of that, as she said. We have to be practical, we have to go step by step, looking also in the story of many years ago. If we use the mind that is able to think of life and human life on the planet, understanding the story, so 
it's like we have to take in consideration what happened in the past. We also have to think in the future and how we are going to image humans look 1000 years from now or 2000 years from now, as she said. So it's a great exercise as we are planning the infrastructure. What the world looks like in 30 years, anyway, is going to look different. We are really redesigning the engines that drive society and drive communities and civilization. That brings us to the end of this episode. Stay tuned with more news and technical aspects about power electronics. If you are listening to this on the podcast page at etimes.com or powerelectronicsnews.com, links to articles on topics we have discussed are shown in this page. Power Up is brought to you by Aspencore Media. The host is Maurizio Di Paolo Emilio and the producer is James Eid. Thank you everyone for listening. See you next episode. Stay tuned.